Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. We are in the fifth week of Lent, but the sixth and final week of our current message series all about making sense of life, not making sense. We kick off this series by introducing three principles to keep in mind throughout the series. We said first principle, it makes sense that God doesn't make sense. If there is an all-powerful, all-knowing being, then of course he wouldn't always think as we think and act as we act, it just makes sense. Second principle, when God doesn't make sense, it can be an opportunity to grow in our understanding of God. Because God has revealed himself to us through scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ, he's told us a lot about himself. We can always grow in our understanding. Third principle, please don't confuse God not making sense with life not making sense. In the course of this series, we've taken some time to look at how to make sense when God says no. When God says no, Jesus shows us that God's no can actually help us when it comes to living in freedom from sin and even temptation. We looked at when God seems to let us down on the major promises of life that are a great big deal to us. Things like marriage and children and career and money. When we set our hearts on a dream that proves elusive, the instinct is to look for someone to blame, and maybe that someone is God. Turns out the disappointment or delay might be a question of timing. God's using that time to grow our faith. We looked at why God seems to allow the wrong people to be in charge sometimes. Why why does God allow corrupt people to gain and hold power? We learned that God does indeed see his people suffering under corrupt leadership. He has a heart for them. No matter their circumstances, they can always find freedom of spirit in him. Then last week, we looked at 
the times, God doesn't seem very cooperative, which can lead us to be grumpy and complaining. We talked about the fact that grumbling and complaining can actually distract us from what God wants us to do in any given situation. Well, as we close out this series, a reminder that starting today, all six weeks of the series are available online on our website. Just check it out, share it with a friend. Today, we're going to look at one particular problem. It's the problem of pain. The problem of pain. And to introduce this topic, I would be remiss not to acknowledge that I am absolutely hopeless when it comes to pain. Honestly, I suffer from what is sometimes called sympathy or sympathetic pain, which refers to feeling physical symptoms when exposed to someone else's discomfort. It's true. It's, it's a real thing. It's most often experienced by expectant fathers during their partner's pregnancy, but some people experience it in a consistent, even chronic way, and that's me. And I know this about myself because one summer I served as a chaplain at Johns Hopkins Hospital, briefly. <laughs> and what I learned is that people in the hospital like to talk about why they're in the hospital, what's wrong with them, and specifically their experience of pain. And as chaplain, I would listen to this every day, day after day, all day long. And it would rip me up and tear me apart, and I would go home at night utterly and completely exhausted from the pain I'd been experiencing sympathetically all day long. The whole experience came to an unfortunate conclusion one day when I was called to the Wilmer Eye Institute, which is part of the hospital where I found a little boy, his head heavily wrapped in bandages. Very calmly, very deliberately, and with great detail, the little boy began to describe a fishing trip that he'd been on the, that morning. When he cast his line into the water, the line rebounded, hit his eye, and took it out. Well, as the little boy is telling me this story, the room starts spinning, I'm getting dizzy and nauseous at the same time, and the next thing I know, I'm flat out on the floor. I'm on the floor with a nurse on one side applying a cold compress, and the little boy himself on the other side trying to revive me. The patient taking care of the chaplain. That was it, I quit. It was the end of my career as a hospital chaplain. There are all kinds of pain, and pain is real. And pain presents a problem for Christians, doesn't it? No doubt about it. The classic argument goes something like this. If God is all good and all powerful, then he wouldn't allow pain. But since there is pain and suffering, either God must not be all that good because he's allowing suffering when he could stop it, or he's not all that powerful because he's not powerful over pain. On its surface, it seems unanswerable. An airtight argument against Christianity proving 
beyond a shadow of a doubt that it doesn't make sense to be a Christian. There is, however, another view. C.S. Lewis, in his brilliant book, The Problem of Pain, wrote this. In a sense, Christianity creates rather than solves the problem of pain because pain wouldn't be a problem at all unless, side by side with our daily experience of this painful world, we've received assurance that ultimate reality is really actually loving. In other words, pain isn't a problem if there's not a loving God. If all of life came from random chance or at the hand of a God who didn't love us, we just accept pain and suffering the way fish accept water. We wouldn't question it, but we do. We do. Something in us, deep down in us, knows that pain and suffering are not natural. We have a problem with the topic of pain, basically because we believe that pain is not the way it's supposed to be. That cry from our heart points toward a deeper understanding of reality. Our heart can begin to help us see that the arguments against Christianity are too small. They're too narrow. They reduce our goodness and well-being to simply the absence of pain, to simply feeling good. But we know in our heart of hearts that feeling good is not the ultimate aim of life. We don't even want it to be. We know there's more because we do things all the time that could be uncomfortable, like diet and exercise, or even painful, like giving birth to a child. The ultimate aim of life is not feeling good. Pain is real for sure. We see witnesses of it in our world every day. Each day, these days, brings fresh images of the catastrophe in the Ukraine and the terrific pain and suffering there. But it's also a topic that's treated extensively in Scripture. And today we're going to look briefly at some of what St. Paul had to say about it in his letter to the Philippians. Pain was very real for Paul. Paul wrote this particular letter, which was today's second reading, from jail. He'd been imprisoned for preaching and teaching about Jesus, and his prison time was brutal and severe. You can actually visit the prison he was kept in in Rome. It still exists, and it's a pretty grim, brutal kind of place. But imprisonment was, in some ways, the least of the pain he experienced. He'd been beaten with rods and sticks, nearly stoned to death, and injured in a shipwreck. He'd also suffered constantly from a chronic condition he alludes to elsewhere. He knew about the pain of loss, too. In his dedication to Jesus Christ and his mission to preach the gospel, he lost sleep, he lost friends, he lost position and status, he went without compensation, without food, without shelter. Suffering and loss for Paul were no theoretical issues. He experienced them for himself every day. And yet, and yet, he could write to the Philippians, I consider everything as a loss because of the supreme good 
of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Paul's saying that all the pain and poverty, the suffering and sacrifice he endured were unimportant to him in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. In another place, Paul goes even further, arguing pain and suffering can actually lead us to knowledge and understanding that Jesus is Lord. It's been said, you might never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And that was Paul. When everything else had been stripped away from him, he developed an even greater intimacy with the person of Jesus Christ. And as difficult as that might be for us to appreciate, he actually goes on. He goes further. For his sake, I have accepted the loss of all things, and I consider them so much rubbish. That word rubbish is actually a polite translation. Paul is using a word we wouldn't use in church. It's meant to be an extreme, even shocking kind of statement. Everything is rubbish to, to Paul compared to a relationship with Christ. How can he make, take such a position? How can he make such a statement? He goes on to explain. To know him through sharing his suffering, being conformed to his death so that I can attain the resurrection. Paul's making a connection here that nobody else had made before, that nobody had even thought about up until that point. A connection between pain and death and resurrection and life. There can be no Easter Sunday without Good Friday. There can be no resurrection without the cross. It's a pattern that was reflected in Paul's life. It's a pattern that's reflected in Christian living. He continues with this analogy, forgetting what lies behind, but straining forward to what lies ahead, I continue my pursuit toward the goal, the prize that is Christ Jesus. A runner in a marathon experiences pain, for sure, even acute pain, but he or she would never stop running the race to sit down and think about their pain. They power through it, thinking about the finish line, Instead, Paul treats his pain the same way. He takes a wider view, a more complete perspective that his faith provides. Pain is real. And if you're in pain right now, I respectfully acknowledge the challenge and the heartache it can bring. And I do not mean for a moment to be dismissive of your pain. I don't mean to be dismissive of your pain in asserting that for any of us, for all of us, the experience of pain, even temporary pain, even minor aches and pains can narrow our focus. We can find ourselves dwelling on our pain to the exclusion of everything and everyone else. From Paul, we can learn to widen our view of what God has done for us in the suffering of Christ, what God is doing for us in the resurrection of Christ, leading Paul to conclude, let us then, who are perfectly mature, adopt this attitude. Paul puts perfectly mature in quotes because he knows none of us are. Hopefully we're working on it 
But we're not there yet. And developing a wider view of pain can help us get there. Some of the most spiritually mature Christians I have known have had that wider view of pain that faith can provide. This weekend marks the 17th anniversary of the death of Pope John Paul, now St. John Paul. And until almost the end of his life, he maintained his rigorous schedule and extensive travel despite the fact that he was obviously in physical pain. On his visit here to Baltimore, I saw firsthand and up close his physical pain. It was physically painful for him to just get in and out of a car or up and down steps. And I thought at the time, why? Why would he subject himself to this very public display of pain day after day? And I believe now it had to do with witness, witness to a wider view of pain that his faith provided. By the way, if you are in pain today, you can call on the intercession of St. John Paul. He can be a powerful intercessor when it comes to healing. Healing, because while we trust God with our pain, it doesn't mean we can't ask for healing. People constantly ask Jesus for healing, and oftentimes he granted those requests. He healed people, and you know what? He still does. So, after Mass today, our healing team ministers will be available here on our Ridgely Road campus to pray over you, to pray for you. If you're experiencing any kind of pain, emotional, physical, or mental, just follow our instructions after Mass and come forward to the altar. For those of you who join us online, our healing t- team will be offering prayer in a special Zoom room this coming Saturday afternoon. More information on our website. But meanwhile, you can find a prayer of healing in the chat. You can say that prayer at home today, uniting your prayer at home to our prayer in church. In our prayer, we'll be asking God to reveal to you what he wants to do in and through your pain, because God wants to do something in and through your pain. Maybe the pain is refining you to spiritual maturity. Maybe the pain is the way he's using you to help somebody else. Or maybe he's going to use your pain as an opportunity for life-changing miracle. Elsewhere, St. Paul boldly wrote this. We know all things work for those who love God. All things, not some things, not many things, not even most things, all things. That definitely includes your pain. It's precious in the sight of the Lord. It is so precious in the sight of the Lord that he would never, ever waste it.